And our reading this morning is taken from Mark chapter 2. And if you'd like to follow it in your church Bibles, you'll find it on page 1003. So 1003, reading from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the man, lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Do keep your Bibles open at uh, Mark uh, chapter 2. Let's uh, take a moment to pray, shall we? Oh, God, our Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. Um, We pray, Father, that we will hear it and receive it and respond to it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I, I've been watching um, the BBC programme uh, Ambulance. I don't know whether you've seen that series. I think we're in its fourth series now. Um, it follows paramedics as they respond to emergency situations. And what, what fascinates me about that programme, the few times that I've seen it, is the, the number of people um, who don't want any help. Have you noticed that? If you've seen it, some people just don't want any help. They don't want to be taken to hospital. They don't want to see a doctor. They just want to be left alone. Um, It's fascinating to me. Um, But it seems to me, when you become very unwell, three things need to happen. Um, First, there needs to be a diagnosis of the situation in which you have the, the problem, Uh, Then is identifying the solution, the treatment to that problem. Um, But essential to all of that is the third thing, which is acceptance of the treatment. You've actually got to receive the treatment, haven't you? It's essential to receive it. 
And our Bible passage gives us the three same things that need to happen when we encounter Jesus. Firstly, there's a very serious problem that needs to be shown to us. Secondly, there's a a treatment, there's a solution, and that needs to be shown to us. And then finally, we need to respond to that solution. We need to accept it. Now, for some, this will be uh, a new passage, a new message that you perhaps not heard before today. And, and today, I, I believe very much that this, this message can change your life for not just today, but for eternity. For all of us, others of us who've been Christians and perhaps for many years are very familiar with this passage. Um, but please don't switch off, because as one preacher um, said The good news of God's forgiveness isn't just the ABC of life. It is the A to Z of life. It's actually about, our whole life is about the good news and the forgiveness of sins. And if we want to grow in discipleship, we need to keep hearing this message again and again. So first of all, what's our problem? Number one, our problem. Mark introduces us to the paralyzed man. For most of us, it's very hard to imagine what that is like to be paralyzed every morning, waking up to the fact that your arms and your legs don't work. Legs that were designed to run, to play, to dance, to leap. Arms that were designed for writing, for drawing, for embracing, for for touching. But, of course, nothing for this man. Every day this man is reminded of his condition. Every day this man is reminded that this world isn't as it should be. In fact, we don't need to look very far to be reminded that this world isn't as it should be. If we look at ourselves, it may be that we have an illness that prevents us from doing what we love doing or what we used to do. For others, maybe it's something much more hidden within us that from the outside people can't see it, an inward emotional um, crippling, as it were, a, a fear, an anxiety, battling with depression, whatever it might be. I'm very much reminded of a friend of mine um, from the Abbasot Beach Mission that Hannah and I are involved with, who struggled each day greatly with his own OCD, his obsessive-compulsive disorder. Before he came to breakfast and before he leaves the house, he has to go through a whole ritual of um, hand-washing over and over again. And he's very much trapped and crippled by that in many ways. I asked him how he coped one day, and he said to me, it's really hard, Eddie, It's, it's a hard thing. But my faith in Jesus makes a real difference because I know one day that he will free me from this crippling condition. You see, we all have stories. We all know situations where we know and can see that the world is not as it should be. And so Jesus Christ, God's promised king, comes into all this and he makes the diagnosis no one has ever, no one who is at that house uh, it, uh, would uh, ever forget what happened. 
Verse 2 says, They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Despite all of Jesus' fame, uh, that he was attracting because he was this great healer, he actually came to preach. Did you notice that? We had that last time as well. He came to preach, preach good news, that people needed to be made right with God. He wanted them to repent, turn around, and believe in him. And Jesus always focused people on what was most important, what was most needed. And so four men took this paralyzed uh, man onto the roof and they started digging away. And you can kind of imagine what was going on inside the house as Jesus is there preaching and suddenly you hear the patter of bits of roof falling down and they all look up, they start to see light and hands and, and arms and a hole gets bigger and then they see a stretcher and a man on the stretcher. It's a dramatic moment. What will Jesus do in this moment? Will he just get annoyed um, that somebody's interrupted his, his preaching? I mean, if that happened here, I'd probably get a bit annoyed at that happening. Um, no, Jesus doesn't. Verse 5 tells us his response. He said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. You can imagine what the, the men who were lowering uh, the, the man, as they heard that, you, they're probably going, you what? We've not come all this way to get a, a religious lecture. You know, we're, we're, surely you can see this man, what he really, what he needs. And yet Jesus says, doesn't he? Son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus, of course, is not blind. He knew the man deep, he knew the man's deeper, deeper problem. Wasn't his paralysis, but it was his sin. When I was about ten, um, my brother and I would get up to all sorts of things, as you can imagine, as brothers do. And uh, one time um, on the farm, we decided to play swords with some bamboo canes, which was great fun. Uh, we had a, it was tremendous, and. Um, we were running around smashing these uh, canes at each other um, in a loving way. Um, and suddenly, um, a smash, a bit of cane flew off and it went right through my ear. Not through this ear and out this ear, just, just through one ear. Um, and <laughs> that, that can't happen. Anyway, it threw, went through my ear. And um, of course, uh, there was lots of blood and uh, there was lots of pain. We had to go to A&E. There was lots of shouting. How many times have I told you not to play? Etc. like that. Anyway, the first thing um, the doctor who examined me um, said was, have you had your tetanus? Uh, there I was in pain and uh, obvious piece of bamboo stuck through my ear. Uh, with lots of blood on my T-shirt, and he's asking me what about my tetanus. And I was only 10. What's he on about? I don't even know what this tetanus is. Um, why? Because, what's he saying? He's saying tetanus is much, much more important and more serious condition than bamboo through the ear. That's what he's saying, isn't it? It's, a, it's actually tetanus is a life or death situation. So he dealt with the greater problem first. 
and then dealt with the lesser important issue. Jesus looks at the paralyzed man. He loves him. He's compassion for him. And he deals with the most important thing first. He was a man with an obvious physical disability and Jesus talks about his sin. Now before we go on, it's really important for us to think for a moment about what's the connection between the man's paralysis and sin. We don't want to get this wrong, okay? Now occasionally, occasionally the Bible um, does uh, 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 connect, um, uh, makes a connection between suffering and sin. We know that, don't we, to be true. If you think for a moment that if you were, uh, if you were going to get drunk and you get in a car and you drive a car and you crash, you could hurt yourself, you could suffer, or you could, others could suffer because of it. It's, of course, because of your wrongdoing that you're suffering. That makes sense, doesn't it? But, and this is really important, the Bible never, never says if you're suffering more It's because you have sinned more. Okay? No. The Bible says the connection between sin and suffering is a more general one. What do I mean by saying it's a more general one? There's no indication this man committed more sin than anyone else, is there? So why has this paralysis happened? Well, it's what we said before. Something is wrong with the world. Jesus isn't pointing out his sin as the cause of his paralysis, but he is part of the world that has gone wrong. And in a general sense, he is part of the problem. Just as in a general sense, you and I are part of the problem because we've all rebelled and turned our backs on God. If a paralyzed man has an even deeper need than his paralysis, surely Jesus looks at us this morning and says the same is true of us. Humans' fundamental problem is we have a deep, deep problem. We've turned away from God, as we said earlier. We've told God to shove off. And of course, it's messed the whole world up including suffering, including sickness, including injustice, including abuse. It all flows from the fact that humanity, you and I, think that we're in charge. It's messed the whole of creation up, the whole world. There's no indication here that the man was kind of especially wicked. He may well have said his prayers at bedtime. He may well have gone to the temple, taken there by his friends. He may well have been kind to others and and done nice things. Yet Jesus looked at him and saw his deeper need, the need for forgiveness. I don't know, maybe you're like that here this morning. You know, you've never done anything especially um, bad in the eyes of the, the, the world. You pray from time to time, you perhaps show up at church and, and do some religious things, perhaps do some charity work and support the poor. But you see, Jesus sees us as we really are. And we're not right with God. We're not right with God. We're in this desperate need 
of our sins being forgiven. That is the the problem. That's the diagnosis that Jesus gives. But secondly, what is the solution? Number two, what's the solution? We go back to verse five. Son, your sins are forgiven. We need forgiveness. That's the solution. Marganetta um, Lassie um, was a journalist and a broadcaster. She was on some um, uh, BBC radio um, programs. But she was also an, an atheist, and she said this once. What I envy, envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me. It's a, it's a sad statement in a way, but she knows, doesn't she, like all of us, that, that everyone has a sense of guilt, that we do actually need a sense, we do need forgiveness. But what is actually going to deal with that forgiveness? Who's going to provide the solution? So when Jesus says to the paralyzed man, I forgive you, it was not only surprising because they were expecting him to heal him. That was the first surprise. But there's a bigger surprise um, because he was actually claiming to be divine. He was claiming to be God. Think for a moment and suppose that um, Chris here, uh, who is leading our service, got particularly annoyed at Matt, who was leading the band earlier. I don't know, um, maybe he was really annoyed at the way he was um, playing a particular song. Maybe he was repeating too many choruses or something. I mean, that would never happen, of course, but it's an imaginative thing. Some of us like a lot of choruses, some of us don't. That's not part of the... Let's move on. But you get the idea. So so, um, Chris is particularly annoyed at Matt, and so Chris goes over and smacks him in the face. (gasps) I mean, imagine that. It's an alarming thing. But um, then suddenly, um, actually, Alistair over there, who did the, the reading, jumps up, and he comes over to Chris, and he says, I forgive you, Chris. Well, you, know, you can imagine Matt being rightly um, a bit kind of uh, perturbed by that, saying, what's he got to do with you, Alistair? Uh, I can forgive him, but... You know, it's nothing to do with you. You see, what I'm saying, when we commit a sin, two people are involved. There's the person we've wronged and God. Because everything we do that's wrong, that's sinful, is actually against God. Jesus says your sins are forgiven. And of course, when he does that, he's making a divine claim. He's saying he's God. And the religious leaders knew it, and that's what prompted them to say in verse 7, why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knows what they are thinking, and in verse 9, he asks, which is easier to say... To this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. Which is easier. It's not that straightforward, this, because it's actually lots of people have written an awful lot about this verse. Which is easier? Well, at first glance, Jesus seems to be saying, 
Anybody can say your sins are forgiven. I mean, it's, it's easy to say, isn't it? But not everyone can heal. So to show you I am the king who, come to, who has authority to forgive sins, I say to you, pick up your mat and walk. And that seems to make a lot of sense, doesn't it? It's a lot harder to heal someone than to say that you forgive someone. And I think that's surely right. Um, but I want to say, and I want to suggest, that there's perhaps more than one answer to the question. I mean, think about it this, like this. The, the word say in this passage, in this verse, um, is also a synonym and can mean do. So it can mean do as well. Which is easier to do? When Jesus says um, to the man, take your mat and go home, Jesus is, a, is therefore affecting, he's doing that healing right there and right then. He's doing it. When Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, Jesus also has to do it. He has to do the forgiveness of sins. How is Jesus going to do the forgiveness of sins? Because if, if that's right, you have to step back and think, oh my goodness, what, there's something really big going on here. Jesus is going to affect, is going to do the forgiveness of sins. How's he going to do that? Answer, it's going to be infinitely harder to affect the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is saying, I'm not just a miracle worker. I'm not just a healer. I am the savior of the world. Any In a sense, any miracle worker could say, take up your mat and walk. But only the Savior, only the one Savior of the world will be able to save humanity and say to humanity, I'm going to open up a way for your sins to be forgiven. I am going to do the hardest of things. Even at this very early point in Mark's Gospel, Jesus is giving us a hint, a pointer to the cross. In order to effect forgiveness of sins, make us right with God, is if he dies for us. The death we should have died for our sin. The solution is forgiveness of sins made effective, made possible through the cross. Jesus brings an amazing solution to the hardest of problems, our sin. The offer of forgiveness made effective for us through the cross. Now the question here for us, we know the diagnosis, we know the solution, but what is our response? Thirdly, the response. Just as a treatment, as we began with, only works if you accept it and take it. So forgiveness is not automatic unless it is received. Let me try and explain it through a very unusual um, legal case in the United States in 1833. The case of United States versus Wilson. George Wilson uh, was condemned to death for armed robbery. Shortly before his execution date, he was actually offered a pardon by the president, Andrew Jackson. But amazingly, he refused the pardon. He wanted to die. The case was brought to the Supreme Court, and the decision reached is as follows. Listen to what the decision was. 
A pardon is a deed to the validity of which delivery is essential and delivery is not complete without acceptance. It may then be rejected by the person it was intended. And if it be rejected, we have discovered no power in a court to force it upon him. It may be supposed that no one being condemned to death would reject a pardon, but the rule must be the same. George Wilson went to his death because he didn't accept the pardon. He didn't accept what could be done to save him. He was executed. He died of his own choice. You see, we all have a choice to make, a decision to make. And in this passage, we see the responses that people make. And I wonder what your response will be this morning. The first response is of unbelief. You see that in the teachers of the law who are just sitting there, it says in verses. Sitting there. Gives a sense, doesn't it, that they're not really engaged in the, the amazing things that were happening in front of their eyes. They're looking in on from a distance, kind of standing in over judgment, waiting for Jesus to somehow slip up so they can get him. You see, they had closed their mind to who Jesus was. They're just sitting there. Well, is that you this morning? Sitting there. Having already made up your mind. Well, please don't close your mind to the possibility. It is a matter of eternal significance. The second response is that Others were amazed. You see that right at the end in verse 12. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Maybe you two here have been uh, uh, coming for a, a little while. You've been intrigued. You've been amazed by what Jesus does and says. And I encourage you to keep coming, keep questioning, keep asking. But I also say, don't just be amazed. We also need to accept. Because if, if it's true, what Jesus is saying, it deserves an urgent response because the problem is deep. It deserves an urgent response. Um, some of you might be familiar with the work of C.S. Lewis. And uh, he writes a fictional book called The Screwtape Letters. It's one of my favorite um, books. Um, in it, um, there, he sets a... F- um, it sets up a story about a senior devil and a junior devil and trying to teach him how to stop somebody becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. It's to help Christians know how the devil operates and what to look for. Um, and in it, um, the senior devil sets a, an exam for three of the, the junior devils. <coughs> and uh, he sets the question... Um, what would you do to persuade someone who has been thinking about Jesus not to become a Christian? What would you do? The first devil thought for a while and then wrote, I would tell him there is no God. The senior devil gave him 20%. He failed and said, well, I wrote at the bottom of the page, uh, the page that might persuade a few people here and there, but deep down everyone knows there is a God. The next devil wrote, I would tell him there is no judgment. 
He got a bit more. He got 30%, but he still failed. And the senior devil wrote at the bottom of his paper, there are some hardened consciences out there, but almost everyone is aware that they're accountable. They're accountable to someone. The final devil simply wrote, I would tell them there is no hurry. 100%. He passed with flying colors. You get the point, don't you? Don't just be amazed, but commit. And finally, we see the commitment with some who have faith. Back in verse 5, Mark tells us about the faith of the men bringing the paralyzed man. They saw Jesus, um, and they brought the paralyzed man. Who uh, They had needs. Yes, it was a physical need, Yet they had the faith to come to Jesus. They had the faith to bring him to Jesus. We have to come to Jesus with all our needs, all kinds of needs that we have. But ultimately, we need to recognize our greatest need, which is the forgiveness of sins. That's not something that we can achieve. We cannot achieve forgiveness of sins ourselves. It's too hard We can't do it by just turning over a new leaf or trying a bit harder. And that causes a bit of a shock for for a lot of us, particularly who live in Blackheath in this area, because we're so used to thinking of achieving it. We are high achievers around here in many worldly ways. We think if we work a little bit harder, put a bit more hours in, that we'll succeed. But the Bible says you'll never be able to do enough. There's never enough that you'll be able to do, because you have a spiritual paralysis. You need to come to Jesus and say, actually, I'm helpless. I can't do it. Please forgive me. I turn to you, Jesus. And when we do that, what does Jesus' response? Jesus' response is, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. And of course, the climax of Mark is how that forgiveness was achieved for us because on the cross Jesus died in our place he died for our sins it was on the basis of what Jesus was going to do that he could say son daughter your sins are forgiven not because somehow Jesus is ignoring the wrongdoing and the sin justice has to be done justice was done on the cross as the penalty for our wrongdoing our sin was poured out on Jesus instead of us For those who have come to faith to Jesus, this morning, know that you are forgiven. Know that you are forgiven. You stand before a holy God as his child, as his son or daughter, dearly loved by God, that you have been forgiven. And when you allow that to affect your heart and your mind, it's tremendously liberating. It's incredibly transforming and it will make all the difference for now and eternity. Let's take a moment to pray, shall we? There might be some here this morning who have seen the diagnosis and the solution but never accepted Jesus as their saviour, the one who can provide forgiveness of sins. Let's just take a moment, perhaps for you, for the first time to Accept Jesus' forgiveness. To say in your heart, 
I receive you, Jesus. I accept your forgiveness. Please be Lord and Savior in my life. And for others of us, we may be Christians a long while, but we forget the simple gospel message that Jesus has come and died for us to save us from our sins. And Father, we ask that you would, you would change our hearts, remind us of this gospel truth each day, that it would be the A to Z of our lives, that it would make all the difference, that we rejoice in knowing your forgiveness, that it affects everything that we do and everything that we are. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.